0: if you wrestle occasionally with spiritual doubt, you've probably wondered, is doubt a sign of weak faith? Is it the same as unbelief? Is doubting a sin? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers these concerns and others faced by believers who sometimes struggle with doubt. From Slaying the Giants in your life, here's David to introduce his message, Slaying the Giant of Doubt.
1: You know, I think all of us who are Christians, if we're honest, have had moments when we've had questions. Something will happen, or once in a while we do something we can't believe we did, and it makes us wonder, am I really a Christian? And uh, most of all, I think the doubts happen to us in intellectual environments. When we're in college, maybe we're sitting in in front of a very— distinguished intellectual professor who casts doubts on our faith, and then we start asking questions. And I I wonder sometimes if people don't think the doubt is the issue itself, and it's not. Someone once told me this, there is more faith in an honest doubt than in half the creeds. And I think there's truth in that. When we doubt, it's because it's so important to us. And maybe you struggle with doubt. If you did, you've come to the right place, because today we're going to talk about it. We're not going to hide anything. We're going to open the curtain and just talk about it out in the open. And uh, two days we'll spend on the subject of doubt. Uh, We're going to look at a very important passage in John chapter 20. You can find your place there. We'll get to this in just a moment. First, let me remind you that the resource for the month of February is the book that contains all of these studies we're talking about slaying the giants in your life. All of the absolute message, everything that I'm talking about is in written form in the chapters of this book, and we want you to have it. We try to make it as easy as possible for you to get your copy. We can't just give it away. That would make it impossible for us to do this for very long. But we ask you to send a gift of any size to help us at Turning Point. In whatever you have, whether you can send little or much, do the best you can. And during this month of February, which often is kind of a soft month for everybody— Send your gift and say, "Here, here's my acknowledgement. that Turning Point has touched me, and I want to touch Turning Point with this gift. Now, please send me the book, and it'll be on its way to you. We have them in the warehouse. We're all ready to ship them any place uh, where the order comes from. Uh, We can't do anything about the slowness of the delivery sometimes, but if we get your request, we monitor it as soon as we get it, and we send it to you, and you'll have it before you know it. Please ask for the book when you send your gift today. All right. Here's part one of Slaying the Giant of Doubt. Although no one was near enough to hear it, it ultimately echoed around the world. None of the passengers in the DC-4 ever knew what happened. They all died instantly. That was February 15th in 1947. 1947 an Avianca airline flight bound for Quito, Ecuador crashed clumsily into the 14,000 foot high towering peak of El Tablazo, not far from Bogota. And then it dropped a flaming mass of metal into a ravine far below. There was a young New Yorker by the name of Glenn Chambers who was on that plane. He was flying to Quito, Ecuador to fulfill a lifelong dream to be a missionary through the voice of the Andes. Before leaving the Miami airport earlier that day, Glenn Chambers wanted to write a note to his mother, so he grabbed the piece of paper that was available in the airport and wrote his mother a note Unfortunately, the scrap of paper was once a printed piece of advertisement with the single word, why, printed across the face. Between the mailing and the delivery of that note, Chambers was killed, and when the letter did arrive with his notes on the front, beneath his writing, his mother saw that great big word, why, Of all the questions, it is the most searching, the most tormenting. It is a graphic picture of the doubts that come to us when tragedy comes or when unexplained experiences and circumstances happen. And if we're honest, all of us have had doubts at one time or another. The Greek words in the New Testament that are translated by the word doubt primarily have behind them the meaning of uncertainty. In Webster's Dictionary, the word doubt is defined like this, uncertainty of mind, unsettled opinion or belief, lack of conviction. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Oftentimes it is the opportunity of faith. It stands at the edge of past understandings and longs for more truth. It should not surprise us to discover that in the Bible there were many people who doubted. If you read through the Psalms or you examine the lives of men like Job or Solomon, particularly as he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, or even in the reading of the Psalms of David, you find out that great men and women often went through times of doubt. When you come to the New Testament, one of the most prominent characters at the beginning of the New Testament scripture is a man by the name of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a man who, on one occasion, expressed a very serious doubt. He sent two messengers to Jesus to ask him this question, recorded in Matthew eleven three. He said, are you the coming one or do we look for another? In other words jesus are you the messiah or should i keep looking at first blush that doesn't sound like that's much of a deal i mean why would that matter what is the importance of that question the importance of the question is wrapped up in the fact of the identity of john the baptist jesus said of john the baptist that he was the greatest of all of the men born to women think of it for a moment jesus said this man who was the greatest man born of women and he's doubting the messiah and when you put that together with the fact that just a few days before this, John had been involved in the baptism of Jesus and in Matthew three seventeen, while he was baptizing the Lord Jesus, God Almighty spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And yet here's John saying, Lord, are you the one or should we keep waiting for somebody else? Doubts are normal experiences, even for great Christians. And I like to say that especially because we have so many young people, because I remember as I was growing up, going through my teenage years, there were times when I struggled a lot with the doubts of my faith. I think that's especially true for those of us who grow up in Christian homes. Sometimes we wonder if we're truly Christians or if we're just conditioned to be who we are. And so we wrestle with these questions and if we're not careful we begin to think that maybe our doubts are some sort of a sickness or maybe it's sin. I want to tell you that doubting is not sin. Some of the greatest people who ever lived, some of the great people of the Bible were people who experienced serious doubts. And I'm convinced that God respects the probing questions of his children That he delights when we don't just take things on the surface, but when we go beyond the surface to find the answers that are available. So then doubt is the act of questioning. It is uncertainty, it is the humility of a mind asking questions and seeking real solutions. And there is a difference between doubt and unbelief. Perhaps it's best summarized this way. Doubt asks the sincere questions Unbelief won't hear the answers. So if you struggle sometimes with questions about your faith or about your life as a Christian, let me just encourage you to relax a little bit and understand that we all go through periods of doubt. And in order to illustrate the principles of doubt, I would like to turn your attention to the 20th chapter of John's Gospel where we have the record of a doubter. In fact, with tongue in cheek, without doubt, he is the greatest doubter in the Bible. His name is Thomas. He's one of the Lord's disciples. His name appears in the scriptures oftentimes with another name attached to it. Have you ever seen it in the scriptures? Thomas Didymus. A lot of people think that means Thomas the doubter, but the word Didymus is a word which means the twin. So, Thomas was a twin. I don't know anything about the other twin, but I know that Thomas was a twin. In fact, the word Didymus is a word that is translated sometimes in the English language. If you say the word ditto, that means double. And that comes from the word Didymus, which means twin. But we also know that Thomas was a doubter he had a lot of questions. He was a person who was very melancholy in his spirit. If he were living today, we would say he was a pessimist. You know what a pessimist is? A pessimist is someone who feels bad when he feels good because he's afraid he'll feel worse when he feels better. (laughs) Do you ever know anybody like that? They feel bad when they feel good because they're afraid they're gonna feel worse when they feel better. Thomas was that kind of a personality from what we can gather in the references made to him in the scripture. For instance, on one occasion when Jesus had indicated he wanted to be near his friend, Lazarus, who was very sick and was dying. When Jesus wanted to go back to Bethany, which was just two miles from Jerusalem, here was Thomas's take on it all. John 11, 16. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples... Let's also go that we may die with him. This guy's a real winner, isn't he? I mean, a lot of people think that was a statement of devotion, and perhaps it was. But how many of you would have thought of that? That was Thomas's first thought. Well, let's go back there with him, and we'll just all die. He just kind of had that approach to life, and he was just a little bit morbid sometimes in his thoughts. You know, in the upper room, Jesus was trying to prepare the disciples for his departure. And he said, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas was the first one to speak up. He said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How in the world can we know the way? You kind of get a little bit of a picture of this guy. He's a very questioning person, a probing personality to try to find the answers. Now, the thing I want you to understand is that Thomas was not without faith, He was not an unbeliever. He had every reason to believe. He had walked with the disciples. He had seen all the miracles that Jesus did. He had heard the Lord's predictions about his death, burial, and resurrection. And Thomas had many facts to back up his faith, and yet he doubted. The record of his major experience of doubt is recorded in the 20th chapter of John's Gospel, a passage we often look to during the Easter season. As we examine his doubt, we can begin to see some of the things that cause us to doubt because he is no different than we are, a man of like passions. So we'll go through the 20th chapter of John, beginning at verse 24. Notice, first of all, that doubt develops in isolation. It is interesting that we first learn about Thomas's doubt when the disciples had gathered together in the room... And Jesus came after his resurrection to see them and to be in their midst. The scripture says he just appeared in their midst. And the interesting fact is, everybody was there except for, you know who? Thomas. He wasn't there, he was absent. Perhaps he was still trying to deal with his overwhelming sorrow and his response to what had happened. It is very interesting that he was alone. Apart from the rest of the disciples when doubt settled into his life. Now let me just express something to you and we'll come back to this in a few moments. Doubt flourishes in isolation. Doubt is a more difficult thing to deal with when it's surrounded by others who have strong belief. When we are isolated, when we're the only ones, if we can't find anyone else who believes as we believe about God, sometimes the doubts can come. If you go back to John the Baptist for a moment, it's interesting, when John the Baptist sent his messengers up to Jesus to find out if he was the Messiah, do you know where he was when he sent that message? Well, if you remember the story of John the Baptist, he was in trouble with Herod because he had made some denouncing remarks about Herod's marriage, and and so he got thrown in prison. And when John began to doubt about the Messiah, he was in prison. He was isolated from the rest of his friends. He was in prison, left alone to think about you know what? Is this really Jesus or is this really the Messiah? Whenever we're struggling with doubt, it's always good to take our emotional temperature. Because sometimes doubt comes alongside in parallel with our mood swings. Sometimes when we're feeling discouraged or we've had a very difficult time or we're going through loneliness or fatigue or sickness, all of those things can begin to happen. One of my favorite sayings is that Our souls and our bodies live so close together, they catch each other's diseases. And sometimes when we're not feeling good physically, some of those things can spill over into our lives spiritually. And this is often true. Doubt can flourish during times of isolation. C.S. Lewis, the great English writer, said, That he struggled seriously with doubt when he would go on trips and find himself alone in hotel rooms, isolated from his family and from his friends. That's when he struggled most with his doubts. Next I want you to notice as you read the scripture in John chapter 20 that doubt demands evidence. In verse 25 we read that he said, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails. Put my hand into his side I will not believe now remember this was the Thomas who had warned the other disciples not to go to Jerusalem remember he said don't go down there because we'll all end up dying with Jesus and now the worst has happened Jesus has died and Thomas isn't convinced that he's come back from the grave by any means he's not convinced And when he gets together finally with the disciples and they say, we saw the Lord, he's back from the grave. Thomas said, you know what? I don't know that I believe that. In fact, unless I can see it for myself, unless I can examine the evidence myself, I'm not going to believe. James Montgomery Boyce uh, has suggested that Thomas probably said a few other things that day too that aren't written in the Bible. In his imagination, he has Thomas Saying to the rest of the disciples, didn't I tell you it would end like this? The Lord would have been better off if he'd have listened to me instead of going down there with all of his enemies. He'd probably still be alive if he'd listened to me. And now that Jesus had died and Thomas had no proof that he'd come back from the grave, he wanted to be sure before he would say anything about faith, he wanted to be sure that this Jesus was truly the one who had died and had come back from the grave. You know what we're sometimes hard on Thomas because he doubted but I wonder how many of the disciples who were in the room didn't have as much faith as Thomas did Thomas was honest and expressive about his faith and he wanted to go find out for himself sometimes what looks like faith is simply silence about our own personal doubts I really have to take my hat off to Thomas at least he was honest And he said what was in his heart, and he began to ask for the evidence that he needed. And I'm convinced, as we'll see in a few moments, that when we seriously and sincerely seek for the answers to our questions, God will meet us at the point of our need. Amen? He will. And that brings us to the third thing, that doubt draws us back to Christ. In the first meeting when Jesus came into that room, Thomas wasn't there, but it is interesting that eight days later those same disciples got together and this time Thomas was with them and Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be to you. Thomas didn't sit around and argue with the disciples about whether Jesus had come back from the grave. He just determined the next time they get together, I'm going to be with them and if Jesus comes back, I'm going to check this out for myself. And the Lord's presence was there for Thomas to see. You know, Christianity is first and foremost about a person, not about doctrines and creeds. If we express our doubts clearly to the Almighty God in prayer... If we read the four gospels carefully about his life, if we examine the evidence that is available to us, it will not draw us to the right answers. It will draw us to the right person. And that person is Jesus Christ. That's what happened to Thomas. In his desire to find evidence, he found the living Lord. And you know, I like to just say this, especially because of the kids who are here and the young people who are here, sometimes we get so wrapped up in the things that we don't know There are a lot of things that we don't have answers to, but you know, there are many important questions in life that God does answer. And those answers are clear and we can know them and we don't have to doubt about them. We don't have to be concerned about their reality. The fact is the things that are questions to us often are just a very small percentage of the things that are really revealed to us in the word of God about God and Christianity. Sometimes we think well, I have this doubt and all of a sudden that doubt becomes the whole of our faith Someone has suggested one of the ways to deal with this is to believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts If you think about that for a moment, that'll help you because if you're not careful Satan will get a wedge into your life with some little question something that somebody asks in class Maybe some teacher brings something up about evolution and you don't have the ready answer to it Let me just tell you something as someone who has studied this just a little bit You have just as many answers as they do And your answers are better It takes more faith to believe the evolutionary hypothesis than it does to believe in creation if you study it correctly Sometimes you may be disappointed because somebody has done something They were a christian leader or somebody you looked up to and they messed up Listen, don't let any of these things blow you off course on your way toward the goal of really knowing Jesus Christ personally. The doubts that come to your life, if you are careful, and if you walk carefully in researching the answers, will bring you back to Christ. Let me suggest, fourthly, that doubts have the potential to deepen your faith. It is interesting that Thomas never would have had the opportunity to see Jesus as he saw him had he not doubted. Later on, I can imagine someone coming up to Thomas and saying, Thomas, do you believe that Jesus Christ came back from the grave? And Thomas would say, you know what? I had my hands on his body. I put my hand in the side where the spear went. I looked right smack into the nail prints in his hands and I put my fingers in there and saw. How did Thomas get that unparalleled opportunity because he doubted and he followed his doubts through to their solutions on a separate occasion when the other disciples were together doubt was met in the very same way over in the book of luke in the 24th chapter we are told this that he said to them why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts Behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself handle me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have and when he had said this he showed them his hands and his feet. I want to say something to you today that I hope will encourage you honest doubts have the potential to build an indestructible faith. If you will follow those doubts just as Jacob wrestled with God one night and came out a different person when you wrestle with your doubts and honestly go after them they can lead you to a strong faith in almighty god now sometimes we have to be honest about our doubts we'll talk about that in a minute sometimes people say they have doubts and it's just something they've decided they don't want to believe so they chuck it over here and say well i have doubts you know a lot of people do that we need to learn how to be honest about our doubts one of the things that many doubters report is that when they begin to search for the evidence the search does take them to the answer, but in the process of searching for the evidence, they find a relationship with God they never had before. And sometimes I've heard them say at the end, I don't even care about the answer anymore. I've found the Lord in a whole new way. And the answer is there, and I'm just going to rest and be sure of it and walk before our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, we'll come back to this again tomorrow. have some more discussion about doubt. Let me give you a little preview of what's yet ahead. Uh, one of the most uh, interesting uh, problems that we face is procrastination. And we're going to talk about that on Thursday and Friday. And we still have left after procrastination, the subject of failure and one last lesson on jealousy. These are the giants people face. How did we figure out all of these problems? We did a survey. We asked people one time, what they, what are the issues they deal with? And these are some of the things that came back. I'm sure this is not the whole list and they're, probability is we could do Slaying the Giants, part two, and do another whole series because life is filled with problems. I was listening to the radio yesterday, and um, I heard this song. I know everything. I've heard it before. One of the lyrics is like this, trouble is like a bubble, and it doesn't last very long. And I think that's true, isn't it? We don't usually have long-term—no, we have some, but most of our problems hit us. We don't know what to do with them. And oftentimes we let them kind of overwhelm us and knock us off course. I think the Bible is here to help us stay on the path, to give us reasons for going forward, and to give us strategies to keep moving beyond the trouble that's the bubble that gets into our life and tries to ruin everything God wants to do. We'll talk about these problems some more in the days ahead. I hope you'll join us. See you next time. I'm David Jeremiah.
0: For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Slaying the Giants in Your Life, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Slaying the Giants in Your Life and learn to banish the giants from the promised land of your life. This popular book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue slaying the giants in your life on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you have been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca.
1: The 18th century English poet Alexander Pope is the third most quoted writer in the famous Oxford Dictionary of Quotations. One of the best known quotes attributed to Alexander Pope is his observation on the difference between man and God. To err, Pope said, is human. To forgive is divine. Every human being knows it is natural to sin and make mistakes. And we all know it is not natural to forgive the sins and mistakes of others. The Apostle Peter illustrated this when he asked Jesus how many times he had to forgive others. Basically, Jesus suggested that if you're counting, you are not forgiving. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's way to forgive on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.